on October 8, 2009, in Red Oak, Oklahoma, a family of three goes missing without a trace. Eight days later, their truck is found locked with their wallets, their phones, their IDs, $32,000 in cash, and their emaciated but alive dog inside. No other clues lead investigators to any answers. What happens next is one of the craziest cases you'll ever hear. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruce podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of the Jameson family. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, humid, so therefore it has to be moist. Dude, it's, 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 it's definitely basement. summertime, my friend. It's definitely summertime. And summer, summer, summertime, summertime. We're going on the road. Can't you sit back and don't Alright, the uh most, not most important, but one of the important. I will say this is the most important. We got a new Patreon, bub. Oh, man. I love him. Love him already. We got a $20 he's tier. My, he's he's a good one. His name is Mr. Jason Guthrie. Welcome aboard, Mr. Jason Guthrie. We appreciate it so, so much. You have no idea. Just like uh, just like we've said before, every red, every red cent we get from Patreon goes directly back into the podcast as far as going for new equipment, going for... Uh, new merchandise to send to our Patreons. Hopefully, we'll get that on the on the ball pretty soon. We've actually uh, we have a new um, logo that we got designed by a company out of Georgia called Ground Pounder Graphics. We'd like to thank them so much. They did a great job. Hopefully, by the time this is released, it will be our new um, emblem. But if it's not, it's coming soon. So It is on our Patreon page, so if you are a patron, you have noticed the graphics change. I believe it looks fantastic. It does look good. The, the Sasquatch has a little more hair, and he's actually holding the knife correctly. And the beer mug correctly. Oh, yes. So. That's, the, that's the best part. <laughs> but uh, Mr. Jason Guthrie did message us back. I sent him a message thanking him for signing up and um, asking him for his address. Guess where he's from? I'm guessing Arkansas. Bingo, bingo. We... Be on the lookout for some Arkansas brews because <laughs> we are definitely. So after he sent that, he said, I figured it's the least I could do since I listened so much. And you know what? That's that's why we do it right there. Dude, I, I'm still, I'm, I've said it many times. I'm still blown away that people actually listen. And not only listen, they actually enjoy it. The fact that we have gotten actual factual compliments about how we do this and the thoroughness of it that we do, which is all Arlo, I don't do shit. I'm basically the pretty face. I'm the pretty face for radio. I just I just let him come to my house, let him drink my beer, and he does everything else. So I appreciate that. But man, over twenty thousand downloads twenty thousand downloads, that is amazing. And I know that we've got loyal fans that listen to every single solitary episode. So that's fifty apiece. But still, man, that's amazing. I, I I will never ever be ungrateful to our listeners. So thank you so much. But getting to what everybody loves the most, especially we, <laughs> since our case is from Oklahoma, we can't get anything from Oklahoma. So we had to settle for another wonderful, wonderful brewery here in Georgia. 
I went up and I got some grumpy old man brewing company from Blue Ridge, Georgia. I <clears throat> have actually went and brewed there with these guys. Super nice guys. When I was about to open my own brewery, which that fell through, uh, we actually went up there to learn how to brew on the big equipment. And I got a six pack of the actual beer. Not the, it's been four years ago, so I'm sure they're out of it. But the beer that I brewed that day is called Grasshopper Imperial Pale Ale. And it is strong, but it is delicious. I'm not a really big into Imperials, but this one's actually very tasty. And I actually know how it's made. So that's a plus. It is a plus. It's made with care and love, <laughs> but they're awesome people. So we, 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 we appreciate grumpy old men, but anyway, I digress. Well, let's get into it. There are several podcasts out there that have touched on this generation. Y is one of the bigger ones. Well, no, in the, um, internet age of unsolved cases, this is one of the top ten. I mean, if you want to find information on it through podcasts, through articles, through YouTube videos, there's nothing short of tons of stuff here. You know, cases like this, cases like Moore Murray, cases like Blair Adams, um, cases like the Circle. Well, Circleville is kind of before the Internet, but the Internet's taking it over. Uh, Kendrick Johnson, which we covered recently. Brianna Maitland. Brianna Maitland. I mean, th- these are... If you're involved in the Reddit, YouTube, Web Sleuths has podcasts. two different threads and they're all 48 plus pages. Yeah. I mean, if you're involved in anything, uh, internet and unsolved mysteries, this you'll, you'll come across this guaranteed. So like Coach stated in the opening on October 8th, 2009, Bobby Jameson, his wife, Cheryl Lynn Jameson, and their six-year-old daughter, Madison, disappeared near Red Oak, Oklahoma. At the time of their disappearance, they were looking at purchasing 40 acres on Panola Mountain to build a house on. The family truck was found in Latimer County, Oklahoma, near the town of Kitna by a group of deer hunters. Yeah, it's going to be eight days later. So for eight days, they're going to be gone. No trace of them. And you did say that they went up there to try to find some land that they were going to buy. The hunters actually saw the vehicle and didn't think anything about it. And then on their way back down the mountain, they look in the vehicle. I mean, they're going to think that it's somebody working. It's going to be a hunter. I mean, in in rural Oklahoma, finding a truck in the middle of nowhere is not exactly an odd thing. If you're from the city and that sounds like the craziest thing in the world, trust us, it ain't. No. Down here, it's not odd to see four or five of them on the side of the interstate. Just parked there for a couple oh, man, of weeks. On my road, I, I'm, I'm pretty close to a wildlife management area, and you drive down my road on a Sunday morning during deer season, it looks like a, a parking lot. But what does grab the attention of the hunters is they notice a very lethargic dog in the vehicle. Oh, my God, poor fucking guy. And so they contact authorities, and the sheriff of Latimer County, Mr. Israel Beecham, he dispatches deputies to the scene. And the dog is alive. They've been missing for eight days, and the dog is alive, but he's emaciated, and he ain't happy. No. He has actually survived by eating his own feces. So they break the glass, and they free the dog, and they start searching the truck, trying to figure out, A, who it belongs to, maybe where they're at, what's going on. And they find the Jamesons' IDs, wallets, cell phones, a GPS system, and a plethora of other things including <clears throat> a bag 
a bag containing $32,000 in cash, which if they met with foul play of any kind, you know me. That money gone. That money's gone. If it's actual foul play, who's not going to rob somebody? You know, if you're going to go through the time and the effort to pull something crazy on a family like this, you're going to rob them. Guaranteed. So the deputies during their search noticed that basically everything's left behind and they noticed that there are coats left behind and it is October in northeast Ar- uh Don't say Arkansas. I know, northeast Oklahoma. Not everything's in Arkansas, brother. <laughs> uh, and so it's getting pretty chilly at nighttime. And so the deputies start their initial search thinking that they have gotten lost. And so they're, you know... They figure out real quick there's a child's coat left behind, so there's a little sense of urgency because of that. They also have a little sense of urgency because they figure out the truck has been on the mountain for eight days. Yeah, it's going to be determined that the truck is owned by Bobby, Bobby Jameson, who is at the time 44 years old. Also missing is his wife, Sherilyn, who's 40, and their daughter, Madison, who happens to be six at that time. And like Coach said... Nobody thought anything about it because the Jamesons, even their family members, said they would go weeks at a time and not hear from them. It was not that was not an uncommon practice in their family. It was not an uncommon practice with their friends. Um, if you watch the investigative discovery episode on this, one of Sherilyn's friends said that she would go months at a time, and one of them would call the other one, and it was like they just picked up. It wasn't no big deal. So the couple had just pulled Madison out of school and were in the process of beginning homeschooling, so the school did not report the young girl missing. They were also in the process of suing the school. Yes. Because Madison had been punched by another classmate, and they were unsatisfied with the reaction from the um, school system, so they had pulled her out and were planning to sue. So the school has no reason to alert authorities that Madison's not been at school in so many days. Which, whatever happened, is pretty convenient. Oh, yeah. It's convenient for anyone that's involved in this, because that is definitely the... the you, You're not going to miss five or six straight days of school and not get reported. It's just not going to happen. Trust no. us when we, say, when, yeah. when we say that. We know a little thing, because so, we've seen a little thing. Yeah, we know a thing or two, because we've seen a thing or two. So whomever is involved in this, it's very convenient that she was not in school at the time. So law enforcement and Sheriff Bochamp did a phenomenal job. I love that name, though, for some reason, Bochamp. It just got a real good ring to it. And he looks like, in the Investigative Discovery uh, episode, he looks like a young Clint Black. If you put a cowboy hat on him, he looks just like Clint Black. Well, he's probably had a good run of bad luck. Yeah, he probably has. But, you know, we're quick, and I hope that our listeners understand, we're quick to point out the fact when authorities do something oh, we'll stupid. Sh- yeah, we'll shit on some pol- shitty police work. I mean, we'll throw them right under the bus. Yeah, but we are also quick to point out how well law enforcement does. And this one, we can't say enough about Latimer County Sheriff's Office. Yeah, when we, if you do your research about any case as seriously as, as he does, <laughs> uh, it's very easy to tell whether it was shoddy police work or good police work. We have noticed over the course of the year we've been doing this. So upon realizing that the family was missing, like I stated, he dispatched five to six deputies, immediately alerted the search and rescue. 
He gets helicopters out there, fixed-wing aircraft, drones, tracking dogs. They have teams of horses and mules. There are basically hundreds of people out there assisting in the search effort. Now, they use the family's cell phones and GPS to help figure out the whereabouts of the family in the days leading up to the discovery of the truck. They realize that they did not, the family did not, spend a lot of time where the truck was found. The GPS system led the searchers up a nearby hill where they found footprints from Madison that led to a rock outcropping. The GPS also shows that they spent around 15 to 20 minutes near that outcropping and then they returned to the truck. After returning to the vehicle, the GPS system does not move again. Tracking dogs were brought up to Panola Mountain and the dogs were brought to the truck. They had both cadaver dogs and scent dogs trying to locate the family. So they take some articles of clothing from the vehicle to let the dogs take a sniff of it, try to get familiar with the scent. The dogs start at the truck, fan it outward through the surrounding terrain. They were very interested. The dogs were at the top of the mountain as well as around the truck, and they didn't want to leave that, that area. So they kind of just kind of meandered around up there. And this is a very heavily wooded area. So the dogs don't, don't venture off the top of the mountain, which is basically a plateau. They do, however, alert to a nearby water tank. And this leads investigators to theorize that there's possible presence of human remains or that's where the scent kind of went cold. So they contact the owner of the tank, that company, and unfortunately the tank was full of water so they had to drain it and they're thinking, oh God, we're going to have dead bodies in the tank of water. But they drain it, nothing there. No. Which is odd that the dogs would hit that. Yeah. If there's nothing there. So, what the fuck? So now Sheriff Brochamp decide or states that when the deputies go back to the vehicle to see if they can find more clues, that's when he receives a call and says, Sheriff, you need to come up here. We have made a substantial discovery. And he's like, all right, what is it? I'm on my way. And they were like, we just found a bank bag under the driver's seat, and it has $32,000 in cash. Crazy. And he does not. I've never even seen that much. No, I hadn't either. I think the most I've ever seen was 15 in cash. And I also almost robbed my buddy when oh, he had well, it. You know. He's like, Don't I know who you are. I'm gonna call the law. I was like, Not after I have a good time not before I have a good time though. <laughs> <laughs> so he tells uh the investigative discovery people that once you find that kind of money, red flags start popping up immediately. And so in his mind he's like, you know, there's a hundred different things that could have happened. So he tells the deputies at the scene, get away from the truck, tape it well, off, make it look like a crime scene. I want everybody documented going in and out. Yeah, I want to know who's there, who's been in there. Very good. Again, very good move. He is on top of his game. But, you know, they are out there to try to buy land. So maybe they that's the money they're going to use to buy the land. That would be the very first mundane thing, I would think. Then I would start letting my, my mind run wild with what it could be. Well, when they search the vehicle, they find this 11-page letter that Sherilyn had pinned to Bobby. And according to Sheriff Beecham, the letter was filled with a lot of hostility 
and as he put it, ill will. She was basically lashing out at her husband, stating that the years of fighting, there were hate sentences, there was a lot of discontent in the letter. And she feels like that Bobby just wants to be a loner. He never wanted a family. And in the letter, she states that she had talked with family members and they were considered, she was considering a divorce and family members would come to the Jameson's defense and state that, yes, they did have some problems, but that was why they were going up to Panola Mountain to look for land. They were hoping to move up there, change of scenery, change settings, and hopefully mend their marriage. Well, another odd thing about the truck to go along with that letter, and I know we're going to get into theories in a second, but I just want to point it out now. There's a hate letter found, but what is not found is her 22 caliber pistol. It's not found in the truck. It's not found at their house, and it's been stated by family members that she didn't go anywhere without that. So that leads authorities to thinking maybe we have a murder-suicide on our hands. It's possible, but maybe she took it to protect them. Maybe she was on her, and they still ran into foul play. We can't rule out drug deal going wrong. We can't rule out... The landowner, perhaps, yeah, taking matters into his own hands. And in rural Oklahoma, it's like any rural state. You know, people know when there's an odd vehicle that comes up and down a road that they don't normally see things. So it's not like they were going up there unnoticed. Mm-hmm. So touching on the murder-suicide, you know, we the murder-suicide has a little bit of legs because of the letter. But Sherilyn's mother, Miss Kokotan, said to authorities and as well as to news outlets that her daughter was bipolar. She was on medication and this was, uh, and it was also confirmed that Bobby was on some prescription painkillers because he had a back injury. They both suffered from bouts of depression on and off. And at one point they had talked about divorce, but, you know, as a friend stated, in the interview that I watched that uh, when Sherilyn was taking her medicine, she was great, you know, bubbly personality. And that's indicative to someone that's bipolar. When they're in that upswing, you know, they feel like, hey, everything's great. I don't need to take my medicine. And they don't take their medicine for a couple of days yeah. and they bottom out. And so it's this whole roller coaster thing. And I've, the had, friend, I've had students like that where their parents would do stuff like that. Well, they're fine. Yeah. I they, don't need they, to give them. They would treat... The symptoms. Uh, bipolar medication as if it was an antibiotic. Yeah. Like, well, they're feeling this way. I give them medicine. Now they don't feel this way. I don't have to give it to them anymore. Wrong. Yeah, this is a thing that you're going to have to constantly keep yeah. your eye on. Yes, absolutely. And one of her friends had stated that any time that she was in that depression mode, that she would constantly write. She would write her thoughts out, and that was a way for her to cope with it. So we touched on the fact that he was on painkillers, And he was in a horrible, horrible car accident that left him in a lot, a lot of pain. And that was back in 2003. He was hit by an oncoming car in the side of his vehicle, which spun him into oncoming traffic. And another car struck him in the opposite side that the first car had struck him. So since that accident, it was very hard for Bobby to get out of bed some days. His pain medicine was not relieving the pain. It was difficult for him to help around the home. This led to more depression, which led to more marital problems. And then you compound that with her being bipolar, not taking her medicine regularly. So this was just a cesspool for marriage problems. 
So it was murder suicide. Thank you, folks. We'll see you Tune next in week. Tune in next Deuces. week. <laughs> if only this case was this simple. Yeah, it's, it's not. Only if it was, we wouldn't be talking about it. So police learned that a few months before the family disappeared, that Bobby and Sherilyn took in what they called a border. And basically, they just took in a renter. And they rented him a room, and this individual was living with them, and it was under the guise, I guess not guise would be a good term to use, but it was under the pretense that he was there to help Bobby work around the, le- the residence. Because Bobby had chronic back pain, um, having another set of hands around would help him kind of catch up on the chores around the house. But according to friends and Bobby's mother... This man began to make Sherilyn extremely uncomfortable when Bobby wasn't around. Because this guy is an asshole. Yes, capital A. Investigators actually learn of an incident that was very disturbing. Well, he's more than an asshole. He's a world-class asshole because he is a white supremacist. Yeah. So Bobby had left to go somewhere, and the man that was staying with him had sat down real close to her, and he put his face right next to her and said, You know I'm a white supremacist. And you keep talking about all this Indian blood you have. I think anybody who's not pure white needs to die. So Sherilyn gets up, takes Madison, puts her in a room, returns with one of Bobby's guns, and basically no, it tells was the him. the 22. It was her 22. Yeah, it's her 22. And tells him to get the fuck out of here, her house. And told him, get off this property and don't come back. The man, according to what article you read, kind of meandered around and so she had got tired of him just sitting there so she starts shooting near his feet to get him to go on and according to her friend nikki shinold she was extremely tore up about this because she tells nikki that she had never fired that gun up until now up until that incident and that she was extremely scared for her life as well as her daughter's life investigators learn that the man has an extensive police record. So they, the sheriff's office contacts the FBI. The FBI launches an investigation into this man. They track him down, and they actually get his name from a prescription bottle that was found in the vehicle. Oh, wow. So U.S. Marshals find him living in Wilburton, Oklahoma. So your son, U.S. Marshal Raylan Given. Yeah, my son. Um they detain him in Wilburton and interview him, and basically he has a rock-solid alibi with about 20 witnesses saying that he was nowhere near Panola Mountain. So this kind of shoots a hole in the old white supremacist theory. So investigators feel like they are now back to square one. Unfortunate for investigators that they feel like they're at square one, they do realize that this is not the only person in the Jameson's lives that has caused a little turmoil. And the other person just happens to be Bobby Jameson Sr. Yeah, he's not the nicest father. No. Uh, six months before the family disappears, Bobby Jr. files a petition against his father, Bobby Sr., alleging that his father had threatened to kill him on multiple occasions. He professes in this petition that his father were, was involved with prostitutes, gangs, and meth. 
Well, I mean, if you're going to go for it. Go all in. Go for it, man. He claimed that his dad (laughs) deliberately hit him with a vehicle in 2008. And Sherilyn's mother stated that Bobby Sr. had a temper and had a lot of money. She also states that there were rumors going around that he had ties to the Mexican mafia. Well, I mean, it's possible. I mean, if you're going to be running drugs into the United States... You want to run them north of Texas, you got to hit Oklahoma. Now, they had... There's going to be somebody in the state of Oklahoma with ties to the Mexican Mafia. So, father and son had a lot of disagreements regarding finances, property, and this would lead Bobby and his mother to install security cameras at their residence. She states that, basically what Bobby had said, that she was present... When Bobby Sr. threatened him, he also threatened her. He threatened Sherilyn and the do- uh, their daughter. She states, I had the cameras installed. I'm the one that did that. I also had a security system put up at my house because I was afraid. And it's hard to live through life being afraid. So authorities notice these security cameras when they go to the residence of Bobby and Sherilyn and they find the video. This is where we're going to start getting into the holy shit, what the hell's going on type stuff. They notice on the video, and we will try, if I remember, to post a link <laughs> on our social media. Man, I got some I got some messages. Like, hey, man, y'all said you was going to post this. Where's this? <laughs> you said you were going to post this. Where's this? It's like, damn it, that was weeks ago. <laughs> we're doing the best we can do. We can't remember two weeks from... Two weeks out. I can't remember 10 days ago. So upon looking at this video, they notice that they are moving oddly. And that's putting it mildly. They're not speaking to each other. They're making multiple, multiple trips to and from the house to the vehicle. Well, I do want to point out that this is not a continuous recording. Looks like it's like every two or three seconds. It's about every two seconds. One or two seconds. It's herky-jerky. Yeah, her herky-jerky time. Um, but still, you can tell that they do not speak to one another. They take things to the truck, go back, bring something back out, and then take something from the truck that they just put in there back out. And they notice a brown briefcase that Sherilyn would take to the truck. But that and brown briefcase, along with that twenty-two pistol, has yet, yet to, to be, be found. found. Neither have been found. So this leads some more questions as to maybe they were under a spell, under some kind of nefarious, the well, devil's brew well, or the weed. We're going to definitely get into the the more off-center, crazy fucking theories because that's all we got left. But their... Um, mannerisms and their actions on the video could also indicate drugs. They could be on drugs. So maybe it was the drug deal. We don't know that. But I've never done meth. Never going to do meth. So I don't know if they're acting as if as, as, as if people who take meth act. If that made any fucking sense. Which it probably did. But I'm just saying they could be on drugs. That could explain their actions. But their actions, they also could be pissed off at each other and don't want to talk to each other. That's true, too. That's <laughs> I've a, done that a lot. 
And if I say something, it's gonna get worse. I'm just gonna keep yeah, my damn mouth shut. True. She takes a she takes a box out to the truck. And he's like, God damn it, we're not Brad. I'm not taking that with us. We're not taking that with us. I'm taking it back in. Like, so yeah, I mean, they like you said, they may just be mad at each other. She might be bringing a box out there, and he's like, Dang it, I ain't taking that. And he carries it back in. He's like, We're not taking that with us. And then she realizes something that he's brought in, and she's like, by God, we are taking this, and she puts it back in the truck. (laughs) That could explain it, too. That's a very uh, logical explanation. Well, according to police, Sherilyn, they had found out, had spray-painted a Connex trailer, and for those of you that don't know what a Connex trailer is, it's in big boxes. It's on them ships. They ship across them big oceans. Here we go. Now we're starting to get into the wacky-wacky, the wacky-wacky tobacky-backy. Yeah. But this is... Go ahead and finish your sentence, and I will I will interrupt again. She spray-painted some very odd phrases on and what? signs on a Connex trailer. Yes. What is that? It is a big-ass box. It is a box container. Shipping container, yeah, basically. that you would find on the back of a, a 18-wheeler. Or a shipping vessel. Vessel, yeah. What to the Horn of Africa. What happens is, is they bring those in. <laughs> from the ocean. From the ocean. <laughs> Or they take them and to the ocean. And then there's a big crane that lifts them off, puts them on a truck. So technically, we're both right. Right. So anyway. But that is also the vessel in which they plan on living on the land they're going to buy. That's important to point out. Yes. They are going to live in a shipping container on 40 acres of land in the middle of fucking nowhere. To say they're going off the grid is an understatement. Yes. Very much so. So there is a private investigator that worked hand-in-hand with the sheriff's deputies and the sheriff's office, and her name was Heather Holland, and she states that Sherilyn had had a cat that had passed away, and she believed that it had been poisoned. And this raised a lot of issues with her neighbors and the neighborhood. The graffiti said something along the lines of, quote, witches don't like their cats being killed. And Bobby's mother had stated that I know Sherilyn told the neighbors around the her house that she's a witch and come on in for some witch's brew and i think it scared people off but i think she's just didn't want to be bothered by people yeah it said witches don't like their cats being killed three cats killed already uh only god can judge me gossip is a sin we know who you may god bless love something in um Something un ineligible, ineligible. Yeah, in- ineligible, <laughs> ineligible man downfield. We're gonna have to take the cats back. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. You can't read illegible. Illegible. That's it. Ineligible. <laughs> Lyrical genius he is. Yeah, that's what I get for constantly making fun of you. It is. Karma's a whore. Yeah, it is. So Sherilyn's friend Nikki Shinold states that Sherilyn used to tell her, if you have a problem with somebody, make them think you're crazy. The crazier they think you are, the more likely they will leave you alone. And it's true. It worked. And she, she says, you spray paint some crazy stuff on there and people think you're crazy. I don't think anybody bothered them after that. And I'm pretty sure nobody would have. But this is going to lead to the theory that she was a witch and that they, the family, was in a satanic cult, which is not at all true. But uh, How do we know that? 
How they, do you know that? They go to a preacher, and a lot of them times in satanic cults, they don't have preachers. They have devil worshippers. Well, all I'm saying is maybe they were in it, kind of... Dipping their pinky toe in it? Is that what you're trying to say? Kind of felt bad about it, and now they're getting haunted or whatever. Well, people hang their hats on the fact that the security footage shows them moving slow, which could um, present them being under some kind of trance or taking some kind of illegal drug. Where'd you learn that, Cheech? Drug school. (laughs) And then, to add fuel to this fire... Sherilyn's mother, Connie Kokatan, states that she believes that they were in a religious cult and that a religious cult killed them. And this is her quote. Just like I've said from the very beginning, I think somebody killed them. There's just no way that Bobby and Sherilyn would ever let anything happen to Madison unless something had been done to them. She goes on to claim that the family was on an Oklahoma cult's hit list. Yes, I don't know anything about Oklahoma cults hit list, but I'm fairly sure you don't want to be on it. Period. And if this is as rural as I believe it is, this is probably right on the borderline of the Bible Belt, and anything that is not mainstream religion is the work of the devil. And satanic panic probably took hold a little bit. Which leads us right into another theory, and that is they were in a spiritual warfare battle and they lost the battle this one is crazy for sure now the family's pastor mr gary brandon proposed this theory and believed that spirits possessed the jameson's home allegedly and i can't state this enough allegedly bobby told brandon that he had a satanic bible that was Cheryl Lynn's satanic Bible that she supposedly bought as a joke, but he was actually reading it. That's what he told the preacher. Sorry to correct you, sir. That's okay, man. That's why I'm you're sorry. here. I mean, I got to pop in every once in a while just for the, you know. Well, you know. So the Jamesons attended prayer meetings, and Bobby tells him, the preacher, that he had been seeing spirits, which they wanted to talk to the preacher about. The preacher tells investigators that Cheryl Lynn said that angels were coming into their home in the form of children and interacting with their six-year-old daughter, Madison. Yeah, she had an imaginary friend named Emily. Although that's a pretty normal thing for a child to have an invisible uh, imaginary friend, Cheryl Lynn is going to believe that Emily was actually malevolent she was a malevolent entity well and bobby's mother would state that she also believed that this was just a young person having an imaginary friend and that um emily or i'm sorry not emily that's the ghost name that madison was basically using this to cope with some things that were going on in her life and which she would elaborate on and say that it's very hard for a small child to be somewhere where there's a lot of arguments going on So the preacher would tell police that Bobby believed he saw three spirits on the roof of their home. So Sheriff Beauchamp states it was three or four spirits that were giving them trouble and mostly talking about them being on the roof. And we had also found out 
that Bobby had asked the preacher, is there a special bullet that I can buy to kill these spirits? I don't know of any special. I'm not really that into guns. I own several, but I don't know of any special bullets. So maybe I'm maybe I'm just not in the loop on this there, Arlo. Is there special bullets? No, me? no. There's not any uh, of them them there that you know you can get some silver ones but they're gonna go right through them now i got hollow points maybe he should have got some halo points but <laughs> we're here all week that's why i'm here that right there is why i'm here <laughs> now preacher brandon would also go on to state that Sherilyn had told him that she had seen multiple spirits in the house and she wanted him to come cast out the demons of their home which i don't know I, I, that's what that this theory is kind of uh, it's just odd if you're going through that it would lead more credence to contacting a preacher or a priest to come bless the house cast out the demons do an exorcist whatever now this we don't have a tie-in from spiritual warfare and demons and stuff but the next theory out there is the jamesons were a victim of a kidnapping gone wrong and this theory states that someone murdered the family for their daughter, Madison. Now, we had mentioned that the GPS had sta- or shown that they were near a rock outcropping and that they had seen Madison's footprints leading up to there. Well, on Bobby's phone, there was a picture of Madison, and we will post a picture of this. And it's, it's a very odd picture when you look at it. Uh, she has her arms crossed, and they're away from her body, and she's got like a forced smile on her face. Yeah, and the family and the relatives are really going to read a lot into this picture. I think it's just an odd body position for yeah, a young girl to be a, that, I think it was a candid. Yeah, I think you know. she was probably scared of falling down. She Well, she could have been doing anything. Yeah. So the family believes that there was a possible kidnapper that actually took the picture the day that they disappeared. And they state that Madison looks frightened. You know, on the disappeared episode, they're like, "That's just not a that's just not a pose that she would do. That's just not a, a face she would make." Like, I mean, that she's is six just, years old. You don't know what a six year old's going to do. Pure speculation. I do understand that they're you know they're they're very very concerned. They're her family, but I think they're making they're definitely jumping to a conclusion that there's no proof behind. It is an odd picture, but not proof of anything. So, unfortunately, the Jameson family, all three of them, were found by another group of deer hunters on November 16th, 2013. So, yeah, this is going to be, what, five years later? Yeah. So, for five years, they're gone. And so, when they're found... Four years, at least. Four years ago. So, when they're found, the hunters actually notice the skull, a, a couple of skulls, right off a path... And alert authorities, they come out, find bone fragments, pieces of a skeleton, which are later identified as the Jameson family. And they find what leads a lot of people to hang on to that kidnapping gone wrong is they find dried flowers in Madison's hand, I guess, at the time. remains, yeah. Um, Yeah, they're going to be found less than three miles away from the truck. I don't know if you mentioned that. No, I did not. Okay, yeah. yeah. So whatever happened to them, they didn't get too far. And, yeah, the officials, they're going to be found on November 15th on 2013. They're not going to be confirmed to be the Jamesons until July 3rd, 2014. 
But four years in the Oklahoma wilderness, you're just finding bones. And you're not going to find whole, whole skeletons. You're going to find partial remains, and they're going to be picked clean. And that's exactly what happened. And so a cause of death is not going to be able to be determined at all. So one of the theories that we had kind of skated around with the drugs and the father being in the Mexican mafia, a lot of people thought before the bodies were found that the Jamesons had actually gone into witness protection and that they were gov- they had been turned into government informants against local meth dealers. Now, Sheriff Beauchamp would state that if there's drugs involved in any case in his county, 90% of the time it's going to be meth. So this adds a little bit of fuel to this theory. And then people start taking the fact that they had removed her from school. They were starting to supposedly move away. They had gotten this petition to get his father away from them, not to come around. They also point to the fact that there was no signs of struggle at the vehicle. And this leads a lot of people to say that they went willingly with an unknown party, which they tie to federal marshals. But you can't be in the witness protection program and be found well, maybe, later. I don't know. Maybe they were. Maybe they got found out. Maybe as a sick joke, they took them back to that area and kept them. You don't know that. Now, this leaves us... I mean, are you really going to um, really turn any theory away at this point? No, because we don't have a clue. Yeah, exactly. Now, the last two theories that we'll touch on are some that... I feel like it has a little bit more merit. There's not a lot of evidence out there, but it does lead to some things that might give you pause. Uh, the first one is that the Jamesons became disoriented from carbon monoxide poisoning. Hmm. And this is a huge thread on Reddit. And a lot of the people that have studied this case think it's possible the family might have been exposed to carbon monoxide while sleeping in their car on the mountain. Now, carbon monoxide poisoning can cause confusion. Theoretically, the family could have been disoriented, could have wandered into the mountains, and basically died from exposure and the natural elements. Possible. Wouldn't that have killed the dog? That's what I was thinking. Or wouldn't it have... If it was enough to disorient two adults, and for would it be can, enough to kill a It was a small uh, dog, too. This was a, a small dog, so I would say that if it, if it disoriented two adults, it would have knocked her out. And the stra- uh, One thing about the dog being left, to go with foul play or the disorientation, is that it was claimed by the family that Madison wouldn't go anywhere without that dog. That was her pride and joy. Yeah, and that's she one reason loved, the dog was with her. Love that dog. Which I mean, if you own a dog, you got to love. Can you it. not love that dog? That's right. It's the best dog ever. Yes, it is. <laughs> now, people that tend to lean towards the carbon monoxide point to the fact that there was no signs of foul play. The bodies were found three miles from the truck. However, medical examiners would rule the cause of death as unknown due to the fact that there was nothing but bones and they could not see any signs of disease or trauma on the skeletons. Well, 
there is going to be an odd little thing about Bobby's skull. He's going to be found with a tiny little hole in his skull. Do tell, coach. Oh, that's all I got. <laughs> well, shit. Um, but no, he is found with a tiny hole in his skull, which could possibly be the size of a twenty-two caliber bullet. But nothing is found in Sherilyn's skull or Madison's skull. And that gun has not been found. And again, even though a tiny little hole is a big red flag, it's still not enough to tell what happened. Because there's no brain material left. There's no exit wound. There's nothing. So what? who's to say it wasn't an insect that bored its way in? Who knows? But Or scavengers that just happened to pierce the skull when they were scavenging. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, a buzzard pecked a hole in yeah. it or something. I don't know. I mean, who the hell knows? I don't. I certainly don't know. No. That's why we're doing this, because we don't know shit. And we want others to understand we don't know shit. We want you to <laughs> feel our pain. Yeah, please feel our pain. The last theory that we will touch on before we get into our theories is that ultimately this was just an unfortunate accident. Um, a lot of people claim and suggest that the family simply wandered away from the car, got lost, and died from the elements up on the mountain. Authorities believe the Jamesons intended to return to their vehicle because all of their personal effects were still in it. In addition to the wallets, the IDs, the large sum of cash under the driver's seat, they also reported finding bags of clothes along with the family dog. Now, news reports indicated that there were extremely heavy rains around the time of their disappearance. Although, Mr. Beauchamp states that he does not believe inclement weather would have caused their deaths. Now, there is a very, very good article on medium.com, and we will post a link to that on our Facebook page. Hopefully. I'll remember this one. Okay. Because Facebook's the only place we can put videos, because I'm not savvy enough to put it on Instagram. I could probably put it on Twitter, but I don't. Yeah. <laughs> but it is a very good article, and if, if you you have time to read it, I do suggest it. Um, and like I said, we will post that link on our Facebook page. But that, boys and girls and ladies and gentlemen, is the case of the Jameson family. It's fucking... It's insane, man. Like, what happened? This is one of those that unless they were murdered and someone comes forward, we will never know what happened to this poor family. So we get into our theories at this time, and I'll kick us off with, I'm going to go with the latter, the last one we went through. I think it's just an unfortunate accident. They were up there looking they decided, you know, to take a picture of Madison, and then they wanted to walk around, and they got disoriented and thought that if they went down this rise and back up the next rise that they could see the truck, and at the time, there was still foliage on the trees, and they got lost, unfortunately, and just succumbed to the elements. Mm-hmm. What you got for your third there, Coach? Man, I just don't know, dude. Honestly. I want to know, but I don't know. Um, could it possibly be? I want the spiritual warfare. What I mean, I want to believe in the supernatural, 
so much. And maybe that's what was going on. Maybe they were being haunted. They're willing to go and live on a freaking 40-acre plot of land in a shipping container to try to get away from, you know, to try to get away from whatever's bothering them. I don't see anything that would make me willing to do something like that. Not a white supremacist. Not my elderly father who's threatened me. Other than maybe a ghost or a cult or a demon. So I want to lean towards the supernatural on this one. Whether that's what happened, I don't know. I I have no clue. This is one that's just so, it's just so crazy. It's the whole, it's one of the cases, one of the reasons why we do this podcast is it's a true mystery that we can't have any answers to. We can speculate forever, but we will never know unless somebody that was responsible for their death steps up. All right, well, I think we've covered it all, so let's get into our recommendations. I'm going to recommend a YouTube video. If you go on YouTube and you just type in The Jameson Family, the third um, video down, it's going to say Bobby and Sherilyn Jameson from a page called True Crime. If you click on that and watch it, it's the actual investigation discovery episode of the show Disappeared. And it's very good. They interview the family. You get a lot of the information that we covered, but you have to understand that this is going to be recorded before they find the bodies. So that it's going to end with them still missing, but it's very, very good. First two videos, pretty good. You know, uh, BuzzFeed Unsolved is the first one. Uh, True Crime Daily is always a good page to look at, but that's the one I would uh, look at. So that's my recommendation. If you keep going down a little, you'll see uh, that chapter. Yeah, did that's a what I was episode. Oh, he I'm sorry. A, he did a very good job, I thought. Yeah, that's a very, I love that guy. It's a good yeah. page. So I'm sorry, I didn't mean no, to No, 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 that's your... okay. But yeah, there's a, there, like we said in the opening, you know, this case is very well known. So if, if you have a YouTube subscription to someone that covers true crime, they're more than likely they've covered yeah. this. If you have a YouTube true crime obsession like I do, you you've have prob- multiple. You're probably uh, aware <laughs> of this case. If you do happen to have the ID Discovery app, I don't. That's why I went. That's why I, I you went to YouTube. <laughs> you can find this episode on their app as well. If you happen to look up the Jamison family on Wikipedia at the bottom of the Wikipedia page in the media section, it references a lot of podcasts that covered this. Like Coach said, there's an episode of Disappeared. BuzzFeed Unsolved did an episode. It is on Generation Y. It is on the Unexplained podcast in Season 4. Hey, let's stop recommending podcasts, man. There's only one podcast people need to be listening to. And that's ours. And that's called Mysterious Brews. And then the one that they really tout on there is Let's Get Haunted. It's two ladies that discussed this case. And they had actually obtained court records for the prior history of the family. And they had actually spoken to someone that had direct involvement in the case. I will give you a warning on that podcast. The first 23 minutes of it. Has nothing to do with the case. God, kind of sounds like our podcast. I know. I felt bad <laughs> until I listened. And I was like, man, we ramble, but good Lord. But anyway, they do a good job once they get into the case. So give them a listen. And that's it, boys and girls. Coach, you got anything else? I sure don't. 
Well, you guess what time it is, boys and girls. It is deuces. <laughs>